It is that message, the message of Christ's love and salvation that we want to make sure we take to our dysfunctional world that is bruised and battered and broken because they have rejected Jesus Christ for the most part. And uh, we are sending a team off this week for a couple of weeks to minister in a very needy part of the world. And, and I want the team members who are here, if you wouldn't mind standing so I can pray for you. David, I know, just went out that way, but he'll maybe come back in time. So if you're on the team, please stand so we can be in prayer for you. Um, right now, the, uh, the team members who are going, uh, Cal, Pastor Calvin's downstairs, um, who's leading the team. We have Amy, Brad, and David Hooper, Dan Trudeau, Nick Wagner, Janine Loff, Rachel Cottrell, Katie Hicks, Brooke Michelle, Kelvin Caulfield, Phil and Linda Gibson. And that baby's upset because they're not going on the trip. <laughs> so let me, let me just pray for those who are standing wherever you are back there. Okay, God, thank you so much for your great love for us and for the salvation, salvation message that has been brought to us. And Father, we recognize that that message really gained its roots and footing from the very place where they will be going back to, to minister and uh, in a very, very uh, country, a very, very cold country to the things of Christ. And a very lost country, in a very needy country. And Father, I pray that you would give them great skill and courage and blessing and strength. And Lord, may they be aware of the significant presence of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for going before them already, for prepping all that needs to be done, for, for resourcing the mission in a most profound way, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done in that. And we have seen your hand every step of the way, and Lord, I pray a special blessing upon this team that great things will be accomplished. Lord, help them to build into uh, the believers who are there courage and confidence and, and uh, encouragement and energy and a passion to reach their country, their countrymen, for the things of Christ. I pray, Father, that, that those who are lost, who find their way into this camp, they might encounter the life-transforming love of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that they will come together as a team, that they will work together in community, that the unity itself will be a proclamation of the truth of Jesus Christ, that their love for one another and their love for those who are their brothers and sisters there, will be an amazing blessing to them. Lord, I pray that you'll bless our, our loved ones who serve with us so faithfully in that country, uh, those we love, the leadership there, Lord, that we love so much. I pray that they will also know and be aware of your great love for them in these days. Um, they are so greatly outnumbered, at least manpower-wise, but greater numbers are with them than are against them because Lord you are on their side open their eyes to see the reality of the great God that they serve together give them a safe passage there uh, health um, great ministry um, ability and great and safe passage back to us again Lord I pray in Jesus name amen Well, I'm teaching today about living forever, about living way past your death. Maybe it's just me, but you would think that every seat would be jammed 
There'd be standing room only in a line from here to Teddy's trying to get into this place. I mean, this is the message of forever living, eternal life. I know it's a holiday weekend, but this is about forever living. The fountain of eternal youth has been broken open. Is anybody interested? Okay. Good, I'm feeling good now. I'm, 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 I'm pumped now. You know, we are in society, think about this, we are in a society that is prepared to pay any price to prolong old age. You noticed? I mean, seriously. And sanitize death. In fact, our denial and avoidance tendencies are obvious. For just these past few decades, I think you'll agree with me that we have increasingly outsourced the process of dying and burial preparation. Probably most in this room have never seen anyone die. That wasn't the case a generation ago. We barely bring ourselves to say that someone has died. We use the terminology, they've passed away. What does that mean? They passed away. We place the dead, as one writer says, in oversized jewelry boxes and lay them to rest in botanical gardens. We want to put some sort of decorative coating on death. Many insist that the dead have gone to some better place, whatever that is, from their perspective. Or that they've become angels. The ignorance around the truth about death is astonishing, really, considering its popularity. Everybody's eventually doing it. I want to talk to you this morning about the death of Lazarus. If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11, it forces anyone willing to ponder toward a confrontation with one's own future. Lazarus is me someday. And you. He gets sick and he dies. Now, now know this. We may never be lame. We may never go blind. We may never lose all of our possessions or even have a life-threatening illness. We will all die. Death happens. And it is horrible no matter what sanitizing smells and spin you put on it. You may not even pay taxes. The Greeks haven't for years. But you'll certainly die then what? Our Father, as we look into your word this morning, this event is our story. It's the story of everyone here. It's the story of everyone who hasn't chosen to be here this morning. It's the story of the hundreds of thousands of people in our region who live oblivious to the reality of their own deaths. 
Father, there is such an important reality to encounter this morning from this text. Please teach us your ways. Help us to discover the truth and to live it with confidence, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you some lessons about Jesus from the side of a grave. It's a long text, but I feel we need to read it all. John chapter 11, the bad news is people die. The good news is Jesus. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved, note this, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, or better, just when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. The NIV's put a little kind of interpretive spin on this. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, or the twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, to her I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. 
The teacher is here, she said, and, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you've sent me. When he said this, Lazarus called, when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. This is the word of God. Why is death so awful? Death, according to the scriptures, is enemy territory. Note with me in Hebrews chapter 2, for instance. Since the children, verse 14, have flesh and blood, he too shared, meaning Jesus, in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. In, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Make no mistake about it. Death is awful because it's enemy territory. And know this in terms of the first lesson. 
The good work of Jesus is going to get very messy and mean the closer you get to the territory the enemy is holding hostage. Yet Jesus is always unfazed. While we may become rattled and unglued and and, and distraught and dismayed, Christ himself is unfazed. Christ was going to take the disciples into enemy territory, the place of death, the realm of death, the territory of death. The devil holds sway in this place. We serve the living God, the God of the living, who calls himself the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, who long ago we know were laid to rest. Yet God continues to call himself the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob as if they are alive because they in fact are the living God. Enemy territory threatens life itself. We've discovered that in the text before in John chapter 10. The enemy has come to to kill and to steal and to destroy. Jesus was heading into two realms of the enemy's territory. He said the disciples were going back to Judea. And they said, wait a second. The last time we went there, they threatened to kill you. Jesus, that's, that's enemy territory. It's the epicenter of religious influence taken captive by opposing forces. Fraught with false teaching. Hijacked God's program. Religion had gone AWOL, AWOL, it had gone traitorous. Jesus himself in the apocalypse described it as the synagogue of Satan. When you head into enemy territory, whether it's the place that is highly opposing Jesus or the place of death, it will get messy and it will get mean. Jesus said, we're going anyway. My mission to reclaim territory held by the enemy. Going head to head with death, the enemy of the living God, the giver of life, the enemy of mankind, paralyzed by fear. You go to either of these two places and the fighting gets dirty. That's why it hurts so much. That's why there's so much pain. That's why there's so much anguish. That's why there's so much dread on our part. The front line of opposing false religion or deathbed, the deathbed front itself. Satan tries to keep people duped, you know, or to get them dead before they know Jesus' life. That's his deal. That's what he spends all of his time doing, trying to keep people duped with false teaching, or if he can get them dead before they hear the truth. That's all he spends his time doing, stealing, killing, destroying. That's what enemy territory looks like. It's scary. But Jesus said, we're we're walking in the daylight. We're on God's mission. We're not people stumbling around in the night like the fearful 
huddled in corners? Let's go to Judea. Let's go, guys. We're going to confront false teaching all over again. We're going to go confront death. Because that's what God does. That's his thing. Know this, that graveyard markers are memorials to way too many people who knew more than they needed to know to be saved but didn't act on it. Lesson two is this. It is important to take your religious knowledge and act upon it now. Jesus arrives in verse 21. He um, is greeted by Martha. She says to him, if you'd been here, you know, my brother wouldn't have died. They'd become used to um, Jesus keeping people alive through healings. Mastery over death was not part of their thinking. You know the story of um, the parable of Lazarus? Not the same Lazarus that Jesus gave. Luke chapter 16. He's going to confront this reality with Martha at this point and anybody else who's willing to listen. In Luke 16, there was a rich man and it says Lazarus who was a beggar, died. The rich man um, calls out in, from hell, verse 23, where he was in torment. He looked up and he saw Abraham from far away with Lazarus by his side. He said this, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abram replied, listen, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. You know, everybody's uh, convinced that if God would just demonstrate some amazing cataclysmic event, like raising somebody from the dead, then everybody would believe. And what um, the parable teaches is that if they do not listen to God's word, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. See, the problem is to most of the people in our world, they view God, if they believe in him at all, and 
for the most part, there are great, great numbers of people who believe there is a God. They, they believe that God is some sort of cosmic do-gooder who, whose whole role in life is to clean up our messes and, and at the end of it all, to bell curve the report card so that everybody ekes in somehow into his glory. Problem is, death comes very unpredictably. They just thought Lazarus was sick. That's the report that came to Jesus. He's sick. But Jesus was very concerned that the deeds that he had done and the deed that he was about to do would be, would eclipse the meaning of the deed would eclipse his word itself. And he'd been teaching that sheep follow his voice, not experiences. Our, our world and, and, the, and the world of religion is clamoring over experience, experience, experience. Surely experience will lead people to God. Jesus wants to make it very clear to Martha that, that the experience that she's about to encounter must be Find its understanding in his word. Signs and experiences and flashy shows will not provoke faith in God. As Paul wrote to the Romans, faith comes by hearing what? The message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17. So to, to assure that Martha wasn't placing her faith on religious sideshows or the great signs and works of Jesus, but bypassing trust in him, she, he says to her, yes, your brother will rise again. And what's her response to him? I, I know he will rise again at the general resurrection on the last day. I'm an Orthodox Jew. I'm religious, remember? They were all believing in some sort of general truth of resurrection. Well, the Sadducees weren't, but the Pharisees were. She had an abstract belief in the general idea. But this is really important. Jesus narrows the focus for faith. Not in experience, not in deeds, not in works, not in great signs, not in religious sideshows. It has to go past belief in resurrection to belief in a person. Jesus says to her, note verse 25, I am the resurrection and life. That, that general resurrection that you're talking about in the last day, that, that experience, that all that general idea that you have, no, no, listen. Don't rest your faith over there. Your faith has to be in a person. I am the resurrection you're counting on. See, the belief, the faith has to be in a person who is something before he does something. 
That's why he says, I am something. And because I am someone, I'm able to do something. That's where your faith must rest. So make sure you understand it's important to take your religious knowledge and act upon it now. There are all kinds of people, as I said, whose grave sites are marked with memorials, who knew enough but failed to act upon it. They knew about general ideas of religion, general ideas of Jesus, general ideas of God, general ideas of church, general ideas of the Bible, general ideas of what Jesus did, general ideas of what Jesus is capable of, but they never ever viewed Jesus as the great I am and put their faith in him. And by the way, just because resurrection and eternal life is available doesn't mean I'm in on it or you're in on it. Yes, Martha, it is true there will be a resurrection, but I am the resurrection and life. Do you notice the word order there? Resurrection and life? We think resurrection after death. Jesus places it before life. Why would he do that? Lesson three is this. It is important to know that life after death belongs to those who have life before death. Just because there is resurrection promised at the last day does not mean you will enjoy its benefits. Ephesians 2, 1, all, we, are, we were formerly all dead in our trespasses and sins. Something has to change. So notice what he goes on to say. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. The one who believes, in other words, he says, who puts their full trust, who puts their full-time trust in me will live and have their present dead status reversed. They'll be given resurrection life. I don't know if you know this, I assume you do, but this general resurrection at the last day is about two eternal directions being settled. In John chapter 5, 28 and 29, do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice. All, listen, everybody, every single human being who is in the grave will hear his voice. That's why he had to call Lazarus by name. If he had have just spoke, everyone in the grave would have come up. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Just because resurrection and eternal life is available doesn't mean I'm in on it or you're in on it. Jesus made it 
specifically clear. No wiggle room. He who believes in me, she who believes in me will live even though he or she dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Now, by the way, this same power for life and eternity must be resident in us right now. That's why he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. You have to have life before death in order to have life after death. That's what Paul was writing about in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, 18 to 20. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Note that. His incomparably great power for us now, today, this moment. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That resurrection power, the same power that that Jesus used to call Lazarus out of the grave, the same power that the Father used to call Christ himself out of the tomb, that same power is the resurrection power that is promised to us not just in eternity. That same power that we have for eternal life is given to us now, is resident in us, who, in us now who believe in him. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ now has the present reality of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that has brought you to life. Now, um, in all of this, even though we, we know our bodies will break down permanently, it seems odd when we look around to note that, for the most part, most of the people spend most of their time devoted to their physical bodies. The fourth lesson that I get out of this text is this. It is important to spend your healthy days investing in your inner life because the outer shell is unreliable. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus is resurrection and life. To be in Christ means to enjoy full privileges of that power over death as a present reality and the full reality now of what life is. This is not just life after death. Jesus counteracts death wherever, however it comes or attempts to come into our life. Those faith killers, those patience killers, those goodness killers, those peace killers, those joy killers, those self-control killers, all of that comes under the domain and dominion of the resurrected Jesus Christ and his resurrection power that has been given to you. The full-time operation, the full-time reality in our lives is that we are continually being 
renewed and, and, and revitalized by the resurrection power of Christ. Those things, those attitudes, the sinfulness, the, the, the difficulties of life that attempt to cause stealing and killing and destroying to happen in your life are counteracted by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that is resident in you right now. Yes, the tent that we live in is wasting away. But inside, in our soul, the very center of where Christ works in us, that resurrection power is continually invigorating us to live with fullness of life, abundant life, until we're transported into the presence of Christ forever. We go from abundant life to eternal life. Now, now understand what this really looks like. In him, this present reality is in us. So we, we, we must, we need to be alive presently over all the things that were formerly making us dead through Christ's power. And, and, and by the way, he wanted Martha, Mary, and everyone who would ever listen to this to, to know that, that he's not just the one who can go and get this resurrection power. He's not just the one that, oh, by the way, when you're going to need this thing, I, I know how to get it for you. No, that's not it at all. I am it, he says. I, I want us to, to understand the profound nature of that. Maybe I can help the guys, especially with a, some sort of sports metaphor that will, will help you. It's very trite. It's very pathetic in comparison to the, 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 the grand things we're really talking about. But it's the, it's the difference between knowing someone who has season tickets to the Jays versus being a child of the owner. Okay, think about it. You might know someone who has season tickets and you know, man, I could go and ask him if I wanted and maybe he would give it to me, maybe he wouldn't, you know, uh, and that's kind of cool. I know somebody who has season tickets, but, but what about when you're the child of the owner of the Jays? You just walk in. You just barge in. You walk anywhere you want to. You go anywhere you want to. You enjoy any benefit you want to enjoy. That's what Jesus is talking about here when he's talking about I am the resurrection. I am it for you. You, you are now a, a child of mine. Therefore, you just barge around in life. You walk around in life. You go ahead. You strut around in life because you're enjoying the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to destroy all of the things that are trying to kill you. Take advantage of it. One thing as well that leaps out at me from this text, especially when you teach these kinds of things about eternal life, Jesus granting us resurrection power presently and living with him forever and all of that, you know, it, it would stand to reason that some people should look at us and say, well, if all of that is so, why are you people sad at the passing of someone's life? Why isn't, it, why isn't it filled with hilarity? What's with the grief? How, 
How did the Lord of creation, the resurrection himself, and life handle the funeral of a friend? You know, this, this pulls us so deeply into the heart of God. When Jesus, the, lesson, the fifth lesson that I've learned is when Jesus visits the graveside with us, and I want to say that again, when Jesus visits the graveside with us, he joins us full of emotional expression. When Jesus takes us to the grave of one we love, one who is in Christ, he is coming to the graveside with us of one he loves as well. And he doesn't pretend that the enemy has suddenly become our friend. Death is still an enemy. It will always be an enemy. Jesus has made it a defeated enemy. But he comes with us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. At the funeral of a friend, Jesus, it says, was deeply moved. That word is better translated in anguish. In spirit, troubled. In verse 35, he wept. You want to you know the heart of God? When, when God says that the God of all compassion comfort your hearts, The God, the sovereign God who's in charge of all things, who intends to raise Lazarus from the dead, is crying at the funeral of a friend. And as if it isn't enough, John tells us again in verse 38 that Jesus once more was deeply moved at the tomb. The word here is angered. Jesus is distraught and outraged and deeply saddened at what the world fallen away from God offers as an outcome. What a lie. As Satan stood in the Garden of Eden and looked at Eve and Adam who was with her and said, you shall not surely die. As Jesus stands outside, just outside of that tomb, he gets a flashback of the Garden of Eden and that horrible moment when mankind believed a lie. And Jesus is outraged at what it does to people he loves over and over and over again. Do 
Jesus is outraged this week. In the center, in the midst of Calvary Baptist Church, at the pain and suffering and anguish we have to endure together. Because mankind listened to a lie instead of listening to God's word. Now, understand this, that the God of all compassion is in operation, resolved here to defeat what death devastates. But Carson put it very well when he says this, grief and compassion without outrage is merely sentimentality. Jesus our great God is no sentimental deity. He's the real thing. And when he offers you comfort and compassion, he offers it from the profoundest places of the depth of deity itself. And so in this moment of sadness and outrage and grief, Jesus said, take away the stone. I'm gonna do something about this. Four days, you know. Four days in the tomb. The ancient Jewish custom and tradition was that there was a belief that the spirit itself hovered around a dead body for at least three days, deciding whether it might come back in. person would be alive again. That's why Jesus didn't go. By the time they had traveled to, to tell Jesus that Lazarus was sick, Lazarus was already dead. Jesus knew that. That's what he told his disciples. He's already dead. So his delay wasn't hard-hearted or cold. His delay was because Lazarus was already dead. And he wanted to make sure that he passed by the third day. Because in the fourth day, decomposition started. And once decomposition started, the spirit wouldn't come back. Now, none of this is true, by the way. In case you're all wondering, has Rick lost his mind to some sort of ancient Jewish mythological ideas? No, I have not. But think about it. Christ is validating his divinity. He's validating his miracles. He's validating what he can do. What if he chooses to ignore their superstitious realities? Raises Lazarus from the dead on day two. They all they'll say is, oh, we knew that. The spirit comes back in. Martha or Mary says, you know, four days. It's not going to be a, Martha says, not going to be a good thing, Lord. He said, wait a second, didn't I tell you? And he'd already prayed up before because he said, Father, you already heard me. He he'd already, he already knew what the Father wanted him to do. He just is praying so people around him will know that he's in communication with the Father. calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Listen, 
at the likely site, and with this we'll, we'll close her up. At the likely site, I can't read my, my what are we? Quarter. Quarter after, thank you. At the likely site of the ancient event of Christ's own resurrection, it's called today the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. You've been there? Some of you have been there. If you're to ask an Arab Christian, where would I find, and he could speak English, where would I find the Church of the Holy Sepulchre? He'd, he'd say, you mean the Church of the Resurrection? The difference between evangelical faith and faith that's been embraced by some of the other mainline traditional ideas is we don't stop long by the tomb. We don't hang around the place of suffering and defeat, although it's very real. The place where Jesus was laid is not a memorial to death and dying. Neither, by the way, is the graveside of any believer. It's not a memorial, it's not a testament to death and dying. It's a place to commemorate victory and living. Lazarus, come out. God's children don't hang around tombs. God's children are children of the living God. Get out of there. You don't belong in there. That's not for you. And so he comes forth. Jesus Christ came forth from the grave to bring us out of ours. Lazarus, by the way, is this theological reality lived out in history for us to witness with our own eyes that the dead can be raised to life by Jesus. Lazarus, come out. It's what Jesus does. Death no longer has mastery over Christ, Paul writes in Romans. Jesus, the resurrection of life, has imposed life on death. Death is now merely the transportation from this life to life to come in the presence of Christ forever. Brothers and sisters, never, never ever forget that. That is the true reality of the Christian life, the Christian experience, the word of Christ on this. I am the resurrection and the life. You don't hang around graves. You understand that? To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Because Christ is the resurrection and the life. Does it hurt? Is it painful? Is there grief and is there anguish and is there loss? Yes. But those who are in Christ don't hang around in that grave. It's not the church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's the church of the resurrection. Our Arab Christian brothers and sisters have it right. You would think, wouldn't you, that the crowd should be clamoring to hear this and respond. But they don't. Although in this text, many, it says, of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and presumably Martha, 
had seen what Jesus did and put their faith in him. Put their faith in him. There's one of three responses. You can either believe, trust in him. The other group, you know, they just avoided the decision. They thought, well, let's just go and find someone who will tell us that this isn't true. You know, so that we can live any way we want and go to heaven too. whole bunch of people like that, you know. That's what it says. They said they were going to go. They just went and talked to the Pharisees who would tell them, please, this isn't true. Or the third, the religious intellectuals, you know. Those who know so much about religion. If I practice this, I'll lose my prized place in life. For them, they'd rather gamble on hell than do that. So you can either believe, avoid the personal decision. I don't recommend that. Your tent is unpredictable. Or determined to find a reason to reject. That's a very bad idea. Our Father, thank you for the picture and event whereby Jesus Christ stepped forward and declared himself in word and deed, I am the resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in me will never die. Our Father, I pray that there would be no one in this room who would avoid this, search for someone to convince them this is wrong. I pray that there'd be no one who would determine that this is wrong and choose to gamble on hell itself. Father, we know that when we get close to the enemy's territory, the place where he holds people in his grip, the place where he scares them to death, by death, where he dupes them to the truth, it gets mean and messy. It's mean and messy right now. And so, our Father, because Christ himself gained the victory and gains the victory and continues to be victorious, and because it is light, it is still light. The word of God is still going forth. The mission of Christ is still advancing. I pray, Father, that the work of transforming lives for eternity We'd go forth from this place this morning, this evening, this week, that young lives would turn to Christ, older lives would turn to Christ, skeptics, atheists, religious, all would turn to Christ because he alone has the power over death. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Would you please stand with us and sing one last song for our Lord? <laughs>